Fantastic. They might take your seats this morning. Thank you. If you're wondering what that loud noise was at the start of the singing, it's just me talking to Malcolm. I forgot I'd turn this on. Yep, everything is being heard. Well, good morning. I'd love us just to turn uh, to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament this morning, a book that sometimes we don't often frequent because the reality is, is we... It's, it's not the, the most encouraging book in the world to read, but I want to look at Job this morning, if I could. And I want you to turn to chapter 1, verse 1. That's a good place to start in any book of the Bible. Great. I have got it. Please turn in your Bibles there, but I have got it on the screen as well. I want to read just some of these uh, verses from chapter 1 of Job. And also, of course, and then chapter 3 as well. But let me start. It just says, there was a man in the land of Oz. That's not Oz, but Uz. What an unusual name for a land. Whose name was Job, not Job. (laughs) And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) So this man, it's a bit like that, isn't it? So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Talking about the number of his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Let's go to verse 6. And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from whom do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forwards on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there was none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And so Satan answered at the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Just pause for a moment. Of course, what happens after this proceeding is that we see that uh, God allows this to unfold and Job has uh, everything is destroyed within a single day. His His children are destroyed. Most of his servants are killed. His camels his sheep his oxen his uh, everything that he has his donkeys all destroyed within a single day who would who would agree that was a bad day for job that wasn't a good day um, let's now uh, just continue on in verse 20 and look at his and job's response and then we'll go to job chapter 3 and just look at some verses there as well it says then job arose he tore his robe and shaved his head he fell to the ground and worshiped And he said, naked I've come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Great attitude. Great attitude. 
Uh, we go to chapter 3 of Job. We'll, uh, not, not trying to skip anything out, but just for the sake of what I'm going to share. Verse 24, it says, For my sighing, this is Job speaking now. He says, For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groaning pour out like, my groanings, I should say, pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I dread has happened to who? Me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of a thought. Last week, we talked about the power of our voice. And the week before, we talked about the power of a kiss. And if you weren't here to hear them, I encourage you to go on our podcast. And if you, have, and if you don't know how to do that, please ask someone who's in the know, any of our team, or, and you can listen to all the messages free of charge on your phones or on your Android or whatever it may be on your computer. And you can listen to that. But today I was, well, this week I've just been prompted about the power of, of, of our thought. The power of a thought is a powerful thing. And use, I want to use in the context of this, uh, of the power of a thought, this story of Job. And it's a fascinating story and it's quite a tragic story, but also it's one of those wonderful stories that you, it's like, runs like a movie. You know, things, go ba- uh, things are good, things go bad, but everybody lives happily ever after. Isn't that, that's a good story, isn't it? That's what happens with Job. But it's fascinating for a number of reasons, but it's fascinating from that very point of view that uh, Job goes on a roller coaster of, of, of issues and emotions and struggles, um, much like yourself and myself today. Um, maybe we don't have to the same extent Job. I pray that not everything is wiped out, but then again, some of us have maybe faced that, if you've had a house burned down, or you lose everything, um, things like tragedy happens, death happens in the family, unexpected. So we face some of the things, and we can relate in some way to what Job faced. So, but the, fa- the incredible thing is, Job does lose everything within a single day, and yet uh, within some period in the future, he, at the end of the story, in the last chapter of the book of Job, you'll read that he actually got it all back again, and double, double the number of children, double the number of livestock, double the number of servants, what an incredible story. What a roller coaster. But that's what happens. And so in the context of talking about Job, I want to look at the power of a thought. And I want to ask you some questions this morning about Job and in relation to how powerful our thoughts are. And what we think on is, is powerful. I was, um, I'm hesitant to share this little story, but I, I know that, um, that, uh, uh, that some of you have heard it before. But uh, there was a gentleman who was a guest speaker who was speaking in China. And, um, and he had, had gone to his motel room for the night. And as he, he thought he'd just go for a walk, he was a motivational speaker. And as he came out of his uh, front hotel door, he thought he'd just walk down left, down this alley. And as he walked down, he came come across a tattoo shop. And as he looked into the window, there's a tattoo being displayed, born to lose. And he said, who would ever have that on their, uh, who would ever put that on their body? He walked into the shop, he, he talked to the uh, little Chinese man behind the counter and said, who would ever have that tattoo on their body born to lose? And the Chinese man in his broken English said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. And I want to just say that your thoughts are incredibly powerful. Your thoughts um, make up the person you are today. And the Word of God just clearly talks about it. And one of the things that Job had to struggle with was his thoughts. 
and what he thought on and how he thought. And so I want to bring us to, to our attention this morning, this reality. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, why is Job grieving? Now that might seem like a clear answer to that question is, of course he's grieving, he's lost everything. The only thing I can see that he didn't lose was his wife, um, but he lost, don't laugh, who's laughing at that? But he's, he's lost his children, he's lost everything of his wealth, um, and it seems like an obvious answer to that is, of course he's, he's going to grieve over that, he's going to grieve over that situation. But if we were to look at verse um, 24 to 26, we see something that I want to point out to you that's up there. The first is... Um, it talks about that Job, uh, it, in the midst of his grief, we know he was grieving because even before a meal, he sighs. You've got to appreciate in Jewish culture, meal time was um, celebration time. Meal time was talk every, you know, let's have a great time. Meal, meal times for Jewish culture was just a, a, a time of celebration and talking and sharing and getting around the family table and reclining. And, but here we see that the very extent of Job's grief is shown to us that his mealtimes, he didn't have anything to get excited about. It was just like he had to eat because he's got to keep alive. And it was just a, life is just passing by. This is not good. And it even says his groanings have been poured out like water. In other words, you know, water flows freely. Well, that's what was happening in Job's life. Groanings because of his grief was just flowing out of his life. And so he's in an incredible grief. But and it's, but I want to point out, it's not just because he's lost so much. Because I believe Job has had a revelation of something else. And the revelation he's had is because it's, it's dawned on him that, he, that the very thing that he feared has come upon him. In other words, Job, throughout his lifetime, certainly while he had children, there was a thought process in his mind of continually fearing the future or fearing of what he might lose in life. Can you see that? Because it says clearly that he would, because uh, we see the verse that unfolds, it says he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices for his children. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great thing that as a dad, he would, it, it, it's kind of equivalent to you and I as parents praying for our kids every day. Doesn't take long, but I, I recommend it. It's like Job was praying for me. He's offering something. God, he's praying and believing for his kids. And, but the thing that I find interesting, it says, but Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. I want to just point out that the reality is while praying for your kids is an okay thing, but if you get paranoid about what they have or haven't done right or wrong, and you start to fear their future, I think that's a dangerous thing to get, have in your mind. Isn't that right? I don't want to walk around through life thinking, are my kids going to live or are they going to die? <laughs> you know, just imagine a conversation with your children. Yeah, look, I'm not quite sure if you're going to live or die today, but don't worry about it. I'm on it. <laughs> I think there was something within Job's heart that, that there was an element of thought processes that continually allowed fear to consume him about what he could lose in life. And, what a, and here's the problem. He spent all the time thinking on what he had to lose and not enjoying and thinking and being thinking about what he had to gain and what he had in life. 
because he had a lot. He was blessed. He had children. He had everything he needed in life. And, you know, and, and isn't it true? Um, I don't think necessarily anybody here, but sometimes people who have so much, um, and, and I encourage people, have all you can, but just put it in the right context. Because sometimes the people who have so much spend their life trying to hold on to it instead of not worrying about it. You know what I'm saying? And I think Job sometimes lived his life in fear of what he was going to lose where he should have been living his life in the joy of what he could yet gain. And see, it's in, in here that we have the problem of this. And here's the problem. The things that we have and the great things that we value, we have to keep in the right context because um, as our fear of losing it can consume our thought processes and our thinking, our fear. And how would it be to live our lives uh, always thinking about how much I've got to lose in life? And if you were like that, you'd be stingy and you'd be, you know, you'd be a person that's always being careful and never taking a faith step sometimes, never taking getting out there and doing some things. Um, it's all dependent on what you what? Think on, isn't it? So to be driven by the, the thought processes of fear is uh, fear will always stand as a wall to us moving forward in faith. That thought process, not just fear, but sometimes anxiety, worry, whatever you want to put on it, even jealousies, unforgiveness, all those thoughts that want to bombard us, they'll stand as a wall to us moving forward in faith. They'll halt our stepping out into new areas. It stops us from dreaming and fulfilling God's given purposes. It keeps us locked up in small thinking. Um, Self-imposed prison, that type of thinking. And not let, not let you be able to, to see your situation changing. Oh man, that'd be terrible. To not be able to go through life and, and saying, hey, things are going to get better. The best is yet to come. That's the kind of attitude that I try to live by. The best is yet to come. What do you reckon? I reckon that's great. The best is yet. Um, and, and, and all those attitudes and the fear, fears will, will rob you of joy. <laughs> I tell you, that's what it does. Paul said something interesting in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me just turn there, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able, Paul's talking about God, that's to him, God. Now to God who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or what? Come on, ask or think. According to the power that works in him? No, works in us. Now isn't that interesting? God has the ability to do amazing things. In actual fact, even above what we could possibly think about. I haven't thought the thoughts that God could, how God could bless. I, I, I haven't yet got there because he's got incredible things for us. Now, please understand, isn't that a good God? If he's thinking about things about you that you've never even thought about, that are to bless you, not to pull you down. So that's the God we serve. Um, but it's interesting, there is a condition to what God can do in our lives. And the condition is according to the power we have working in us. What power have you got working in you this morning? Have you got the power, unfortunately, of fear or maybe, um, you know, uh, a distraction or the, the, the power of, of um, concerns or whatever it may be? Um, but there is, there is a power. And I, want, and, and I think all of us would say, no, we want that abundant power that God has for us. But the condition is what you think on has the ability to let God release his power 
or not release it. It affects what God can do in our lives. That's what it says. According, He can do exceedingly abundant, abundant all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I want the power of the Holy Ghost. I know what that's, that's the power He's talking about. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is always thinking up wonderful things. Is always wanting us to see the day is that there's a better day. Is always wanting us to discard the old thoughts and grab a hold of the good thoughts. Always wanting us to take a hold of Scripture and stand on the promises of God. Now, you may be, I know what you're thinking, because I think the same thing here. Just wait a second. If God has so much power, why doesn't God just sometimes get me out of these problems and issues? Why doesn't He just deal with it? Um, well, I've discovered something. Well, if He did deal with it in our lives, would you think any different the next day? And if he did, would you find yourself back in that mess again within a month because you haven't changed the way you think? That's the question I've had to ask myself. Because I'm God, why did you just deal with that issue? Why did you change it? And I've discovered he said something to me. No, you change and I'll change it. You change the way you think. You change the thought processes. Because if I give you what you want within a month, you'll be back where you were before and nothing's really changed. I said, God, okay, okay, you're not fair. <laughs> Maybe God doesn't get you out of the mess because he wants to, you to deal with the source of the problem instead of just to fix, it, fix the issue. And the source of the problem has to do with how we think. I, uh, I read the story of the prodigal son. It's just a great story to read, isn't it? In Luke chapter 15, and a couple of weeks ago, I preached about the power of a kiss and the father's kiss for his son and all that that meant about the grace of God. But as I look at the story, I, uh, I love this particular passage or these couple of verses in Luke because it says this. This is the son. After he's taken his, if you don't know the story, a five-second recap, the son takes his father's inheritance, um, tells his father, basically, I'd love to see you dead but I'll take my inheritance and move out. He wastes his money, really he really wastes his, his father's money, his money. And he finds himself, got nothing left. He's in a pig pen, feeding, hungry and starving. And this is what he says. Then he began to think clearly again. Praise God for that. Amen. He began to think clearly again. He said, how many of my father's hard workers have been more than enough food, but here I am dying from hunger. I will get up and go back to my father. I love the thought that the prodigal son came back to the father and the reason he came back to him because he started to think clearly again. I've asked myself a question, why didn't the father ever go and chase down his son and get him out of the pig pen and bring him home? And the reason is because he would, if, he, if he'd gone to get his son and not had seen a change of attitudes and a change of thought processes, his son would have taken himself back into the pig pen eventually again. And God says, hey, if you would just allow your thought processes and mind and how you think, because it's powerful how you think, and when you do, man, I'll be looking out the window, and when you come, I'll lather you in kisses, clothe you in the finest clothing, put a ring on your finger, and kill the fatted calf, we're going to party, because you know why the father really partied? He didn't party because his son was just home, that was great, he partied because his son had a change of attitudes. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, 
so much wants us to see the reality that he rejoices over the, just the ability for us to have a change of the way we think. Because when we do, life changes. Life changes. Now, of course, we've got to think about what we need to change. <laughs> we've got to think about what thoughts need to be changed. And it doesn't always come easy sometimes to think, oh, what, what thoughts do I need to change? But I think if we're really open and responsive, that God starts to reveal to us uh, what needs to change. Okay, so can I ask you a second question this morning? Uh, did Job lose all because he was thinking about losing it all? That's a thought. Did Job lose all because he was thinking about losing it all? Because what you think on does affect uh, your, your, your life, doesn't it? What you think on does affect everything about your life and your future. Uh, David Yongi Cho, Dr. David Yongi Cho was a pastor. And he was a pastor in Korea. Many of you would know that. He happened to have, at one stage, nearly a million people in his, um, a million people in his church in Korea. That's a big church, would you agree? So he had a lot, he had a lot on his mind. <laughs> and Dr. Yavi Yonghee Cho went and talked to a leading neurologist of the day in Korea because he just wanted to think about the connection between what we think on and, and, and then um, how we act. He was just wanting to get the connection, whether there was any scientific evidence for the connection to being how we think and how we act and respond in life. Uh, and so we talked to this neurologist, and the neurologist said this. He said, did you know that in the same part of our brain that houses the central nervous system, it also houses the thought and speech center? They're, they're, they're all there in the same little gray matter there in our brain. I don't know literally where it is. It's somewhere in there. And as a result... Our thought center directly affects our nervous system. And if we start to think on certain things, particularly things like, I don't know, we are weak, then our nervous system takes that message to all the nerve endings in our body and tells them, be weak. And if negative thoughts are repeated long enough, it becomes a, like this rut within our thought processes and our nervous system. And the result is that we get what we say weakness Yongi Cho was amazed at this story he says really is that really true to you is that true and so as he searched through the scriptures he found that this verse came up and it just simply said this for as a person thinks so is he or she as a person thinks so is so are they interesting isn't it I just looked at this passage myself and I thought about the word think. And you know the word think, if you break it down into the, take it back to the Greek and then bring it forward back into English again, another explanation for the, the, the Greek word of the word think here in Proverbs chapter 23 is gateway. So your thought processes is the gateway to your heart, which is the gateway to your responses in life. So, and for some of you, this is no new news at all but i want us to remember the reality that your mind is a gateway to everything that happens and you can sometimes if you allow your thoughts to run away with you it can really take you places you don't need to go there was a lady in 1966 documented story once again i know just a few of you have heard this but i've got to share it because it's just a classic this precious old lady's early 70s she lives in florida america 
she lived by herself in her suburb of her particular um, suburb of, of Florida, where she was living in the city, there'd be a number of house break-ins. And she became a little concerned and worried about that. She, she got extra locks on the doors. She got a little alarm system around the house. She bought two German shepherds and they patrolled her boundaries in her yard. And her family was thinking, oh, well, that's okay. But they started to get a little bit concerned about her when she bought a handgun and had it in her purse all the time. 72 with a handgun in her purse. She didn't know how to use it, mind you. She just wanted it there. Her family was a little concerned, a little thought that maybe she's a little bit over the top here. But anyway, they let Grandma have her way. One particular day before Christmas in December of 1966, she went to a local shopping center. She wanted to buy groceries and gifts for her family. She'd done that. She comes out of the... She comes out of the grocery store, out of the shopping market, and she comes towards the car park, and she sees, as she approaches um, her car, she sees four young men in her car about to drive away. Well, straight away, she goes into, into the, realizing straight away that all her, her paranoid, wasn't paranoid at all, she, this, she had prepared herself for this very moment. She dropped her shopping bags, and nervously shaking, she grabbed her gun, she ran up to the car as fast as she could, as a 72-year-old can, and she pointed in the window and said, I've got a gun, I know how to use it, get out of the car. These four young men didn't need a second invitation, they run from the car in all directions, Oh, nervous, her hands shaking. She put the gun back in the purse. She put the groceries in the car. She got into the car seat. She got her key out. And her nervous, shaking hand, she couldn't get the key in the ignition. And, and then finally, she realized this wasn't the key for the ignition. This wasn't even the car. She hopped out of the car real quick. She got her groceries. Within three minutes, she found her car five bays down from this one. It looked similar. She hopped in that car. She drove to the nearest police station. She burst through the doors of the police station. She ran straight to the counter. She's talking to the policeman. She's sharing the intimate details of this whole story and how it unfolded, trying to plead her guiltiness and get her innocence in it. And the police officer is not being helpful at all. He's laughing. <laughs> True story. In actual fact, he's laughing so much, he's doubling up. And as he laughs, he points to the far end of the counter. Four young men, very pale, big eyes. They just reported a crazy granny, curly hair, under five feet, wielding a handgun and, and carjacked them in their car. No charges were laid. <laughs> the grandma pleaded for her forgiveness. The four young men finally saw the funny side of it. And the policeman just thought it was a great day. <laughs> this precious elderly lady started to realize that her paranoid thoughts had gotten the better of her. And the things she had feared had not really come upon her, even though she thought they did. I don't believe uh, that we, we go through life totally free of fears or doubts or struggles within our thoughts. We all face the struggles, don't we? But you know, you can't stop birds flying around your head, but you can certainly stop them from nesting in your hair. 
And, and, and I think that's the greatest um, challenge for us. The doubts, the struggles, they'll come. And, 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 and we'll go overboard sometimes. Hopefully, like this precious old lady, it'll all turn out for good. But the reality is we face these things, don't we? And for Job's life, um, as we look at Job, I believe there was a couple reasons that he, he, he found himself in the situation he was in. Um, and, I, and I think it was that his fears had come upon him. I think somehow his fears had connected with his attitudes and then connected with his responses. And then somehow that was all connected. And don't try and, you know, because as the scripture says, the person as he thinks in his heart, so is he. But I think there was another strong reason that Job uh, found himself in the predicament he found himself in. Because I, I believe that he attracted the attention of the devil himself. And, and I'll give you a preface why I believe that. Uh, because we see in the scripture in that verse 24 that he regularly and all the time was concerned about whether his kids and what they were doing and whether they were doing right and wrong and this and that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think there was, a, there was some elements of health in his thinking, but also some unhealthy thoughts. And so I think it attracted the devil. I've discovered something that if I continue to have unhealth, you know, thoughts that continue to bombard me, it does attract the attention of the devil. Here's a verse in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like what? Roaring lion. I love it because it's a roaring lion. As long as he's roaring, he's not biting. Seeking whom he may devour. He's he hasn't changed his ways from Job's day. He walked on the face of the earth with Job and he was looking for people who we could have a go at. He does the same thing today. God allows him, but it's only for a season, hallelujah. One day he will have his day. But at the moment he still walks, he still roams and he still roars. And we see the word devil here, literally in this verse, that the word devil could be translated slander, slanderer or false accuser. And there's one thing the devil does well. He doesn't bite well. He doesn't really maul anybody well. What he does well is he accuses and he slanders. And if he can get into your brain some false thoughts about your future, about your life, or who, you, who he thinks you are, then he will. Do you understand? He will try. And, it, and he gets attracted by negativity. He gets attracted by it. And it's exactly what he wants you to think on is all the reasons why God doesn't love you, why you're terrible, you're stupid, all those things. There's myriam of thoughts that he has about you. You'll never make it in God's, all that rubbish. They're just false statements. And that's what, he's, that's what he tries to be. I want to just say, I'm glad uh, that the Bible says, Paul said in Philippians, uh, whatever things are a good report. Come on, everybody just say good report good report and there's many other things things that are beautiful right just pure but it says what does it say think on these things and then the god of peace will be with you a bad report will hang around all the time you don't have to go far in life a bad report always wants to find you isn't that true our human nature sometimes picks up bad stuff it's easy. And we've got to work at saying, I don't want the bad report. I don't really need to listen to the bad report. I've discovered that a lot of the bad reports that you receive, more than likely, will never come to pass. What's the use of spending your time fearing about it when it'll never come to pass? You know, last week, just to give you a personal example, 
um, last week, many months ago, I booked in for Michelle and I and uh, Lydia to go to the state of origin. Because it's my wife's 50th birthday, um, she said, honey, don't buy me any gift, just do one special thing every month for the year. <laughs> what month are we up to? July? I'm working on it. I'm st- so this month, the one special thing was the footy. What better present for your wife? Take her to the AFL. I thought, what better present than the, the state of origin third game? Little did I know months ago was going to be a decider. And, um, and it, those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. There's this crazy thing in Queensland, between Queensland and New South Wales, called the football game. It's rugby league. It's not soccer. And... Um, and we all get together and yell and scream and someone wins and someone loses. That's basically what it's all about. And we all go home. And um, of course, I took... Uh, and so I'm thinking, and, and a couple of weeks ago, before the game, this is the serious point, before the game, um, you may be aware that there were several incidences around the world where there were suicide bombers. There was things, people getting smashed and blown up all over the place. You remember that just a week and two weeks ago? And so my thought process goes like this. I know there's about 52,000 can fit in the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. What a better opportunity for a guy to come along, a woman, and strap bombs themselves and explode themselves in the midst of that. How many people would they kill? And I'm thinking these thoughts. I didn't tell anybody because I know better than that. But I'm thinking these thoughts. I'm thinking, you know, um, how easy. Isn't that terrible? A bad report. The bad report comes along and you want to think these thoughts. So I go to the game, and of course nothing happened like that. The only explosion was the, was the screaming and the yelling and the fun and the great time we had, and of course Queensland won, which was really important. But you know, the reality is that sometimes those thoughts will just want to run away with you. You know, sometimes you get, a, you get this little report from the doctor, and it just says, oh, there's a mole I need to look at there. And all of a sudden... You know, he says, I'll see you in three days. And by the time three days comes about, my goodness, you're dead and buried. (laughs) You know what I mean, don't you? (laughs) Got to cut it off. The devil roams around like a roaring lion. Wanted to take opportunity all the time. Your thoughts are powerful. Come on, your thoughts are powerful. How powerful they are. And he'll take every bit of juicy bit of bad news and he'll connect it to your human nature and that's where we need the holy ghost nature in us so i don't need to listen to that rubbish don't need to listen to that today i can complain because the weather is rainy i can be thankful that the grass is getting watered for free today i can cry because roses have thorns or i can celebrate that thorns have roses today i can whine because i have to go to work i can shout for joy because i have a job to go to Today I can grumble about my health, I can rejoice that I'm alive. Today I can laminate over all that my parents didn't give me when I was growing up, or I can feel grateful and they allowed me to be born. What's the report that you have to face? And Maybe today the reality is that you're facing some reports that aren't good, aren't positive, they are negative, and it's nothing generated by you, but it's a thing that has, there's a report out there that's not good, and you're going to face that report. I want to tell you it won't, you know, help you. Don't allow it to get run away with your thoughts. Don't allow it to have more of you than it should. Here's the third question I want to th- finish with. Did Job find peace? 
The short answer to that is, yes, he did. There's a great verse in Philippians 4, 6 and 7 that a lot of us would know, even off by heart. But it says, because I, want to, I think it's vital to understand it, I want to repeat it again. It says, come on, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known, known to who? God. You know, sometimes I've let my request be known to everybody else except God. Oh, I've got to face this, I've got to face this. You know, I want to just encourage you, the first place you need to take it is to God. And now, there's nothing wrong with sharing with family or friends or whatever, but, you know, why don't we just make Him the first base? It says, and then the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The first thing I, I love about this little passage is, notice it's not our peace, but it's God's peace. Do you know what? You can't generate peace. Uh, what you can generate is happiness. I generate happiness all the time, but happiness is, is, is just a thought, while peace is a state of mind or attitudes. You live by it. In actual fact, you can have peace and not necessarily be ha 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 ha. Do you know what I mean? I see a lot of people on a Saturday night who have had a fair few alcoholic beverages who have got great joy, but they haven't got any peace. Because when you talk to them and they start to weep, it's like my life's a mess. You know, it's a difference. And see, God says, wherever you look at Scripture, it talks about the peace of God. It's not your peace. It's God's peace that He wants to give us. And when it's God's peace, you know that's the real deal. That's the great thing. It, it, when it's God's peace, of course, it's, it really brings something of strength in our hearts and lives. Because if it was my peace, it would just be based upon circumstances. Where God's peace is not based upon circumstances. It's based upon His love for us and His knowledge of our future. And all that He thinks about us is incredible good thoughts. And that's the peace He gives us. The second thing about this verse is the peace of God is the invisible force field to keeping our minds safe from all those wrong thoughts like fear and anxiety and doubt and jealousies and unforgiveness. It's His peace is that, in, is that strength, the peace of God. I uh, read an incredible story about a missionary called Eric Baker many, quite a few years ago, but I want to repeat it this morning because it just it, it emphasizes this in particular point of peace. Eric was a missionary in Portugal, 50 years. And in that time, he was married, he had eight children, and his sister joined him on the mission field and her husband, and they had three children. And so uh, 50 years of serving the Lord, it was finally time to retire. And they retired at the end of the Second World War early 1945 the war was just about finished so this is a long quite a few decades ago and he sent his wife their eight children his sister and her three children home on a passenger liner to america across the atlantic The next week he followed, now it sounds similar to another story 
of a guy called Horatio Spafford, but don't get it mixed up. This is a completely different missionary because Horatio Spafford is the one who wrote that wonderful song with peace like a river. You know that song. So it's not that one. This is another one. Of, and so Eric got home and he had, a, he had a, a church that was supporting him all that time. And so he was invited to preach. He just got home. The next morning, he had to preach. So he gets up at the pulpit and he just says, well, it's good to be among you. And he said, uh, I just want you to know my family aren't here today with me, but they're homes. They're home. And he preached this incredible, passionate message. And everybody just said, man, that was incredible, Eric. And they're shaking his hand after the service. And they said, and so how are all the children and your wife? And he said, um, they all died. He said, when the ship was coming across the landing, it was torpedoed by a submarine and sunk. His wife was killed. His eight children were killed. His sister was killed. Her three children were killed. And yet, Eric had the incredible ability to stand up there and preach an incredible message. He even declared that his family was home. And the home that he was referring to was, of course, was not, nothing to do with whether they were home at the house they lived in. It was about home in heaven because he knew they were all believers in Christ. And it was only the peace of knowing this that enabled him to live under the heavy load of grief. Did he grieve? Of course he did. Was he struggling? Of course he was. Was he battling with his attitudes? Absolutely. Was he even battling with why God? Absolutely. Are you battling with that this morning? Why God? I'd understand if you were. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? But under the, the heavy weight of grief, it was the peace of God that sustained him. What an incredible, and you might say, is that, sometimes we hear stories like that and we think, oh, that's nice, but that, just think about it for a moment. Wife, children, sister, cousin, all gone, all passed away, all dead, like, just like that. And here he is left alone to do life alone, and yet he gets up and he preaches an incredible message people's lives are touched and he keeps on going on in life i want to tell you i don't know why but i do know the god that knows the future and the peace that he can give us and your thoughts are incredibly powerful church your thoughts about your family your thoughts about other people your thoughts about your job your thoughts about your future your thoughts about yourself sometimes we battle the most with just thoughts about ourselves am i good enough Will I be able to make it? Can I really change? Can I do this? Can I do that? I want to tell you that our God says yes and amen to us, doesn't he? He says, come on. So can we stand this morning and we're going to close the service in a moment. But before we do, I just simply want to ask you, how's your thoughts going? Are there thoughts you need to discard? Are there other thoughts you need to take on board? That's why reading the Bible is incredibly powerful because it gives you new thoughts about how to think. But are you facing some external pressures today that just want to take your thoughts in all directions and they're not good? Have you had somebody say or do something to you that just, you have thoughts of just revenge? <laughs> That can be a reality. Or you have thoughts of just, oh, I don't want to see that person. Or this or that. I just, 
want us to be incredibly real today. Maybe there's circumstances that are external to you, but they're affecting you. And our God says, I'm the God of peace. I want to come into your hearts. I want to help you with your thought life. Maybe there's thoughts that you have that are just wrong thoughts. You just don't need to go there with your thoughts. And you battle with that sometimes and struggle with that. And those thoughts just take you in directions you don't want to really go, but the habits of sometimes our thinking takes us there. God just says, I, I want to relieve that. I want to, I want to give you something today. It is ho- His Holy Spirit's power. So how about today? I, I, I'm not going to prolong this, but if you just would desire prayer this morning, I'd just love to stand with you and pray and agree. If there's no one, that's fine. We'll just sing the song and we'll come, continue on. But I want to give an opportunity for us just to say, Father, this situation is not my doing, but God, I just need your strength. Or this, or it may be, or whatever the circumstance. Father, I just surrender it to you. And you're not wicked or nasty or terrible because you have a bad thought. Folks, it's just that you, you just need redeeming like I need redeeming. You need the love of God. You need the peace of God. Don't overlook it this morning. Reach out to Him. Come on, let's sing this song. If you desire prayer, come. Don't be shy. Just say, Father, I just more this morning.